welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey everybody, this is Rabbi Jonathan, and today we're going to kick off a conversation. Um, we're going to try to stick around the areas of kind of just like odd uh, experiences, that, uh, whether it's our own services that people who have joined our congregations or uh, services that we've seen at conferences and other congregations that we've been visiting, um, especially in regard to things that we cons- would consider uh, disruptive or distracting. Um, things as far as the, in the expression of worship. As far as the, in the, especially in the expression of worship um, uh, regarding both uh, men and women. There's uh, all equality here, um, equal, mm. equal distracting opportunities. Uh, so things like, you know, Blowing shofars at the wrong time and uh, yes. rattling tambourines on the offbeat, which you know uh, my extended family comes from Church of God movement, so the clapping on the offbeat is uh, tradition and or required for salvation. So uh, we don't, uh, uh, we, but we don't judge. We're just going to talk. So anyway, so tambourines I think would be a good one to start with. As a worship leader, uh, a form, <laughs> excuse me, as a former worship leader, I'm assistant rabbi now, but uh, as a former worship leader of. Um, Gosh, fifteen years, um, in 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 solely messianic, you know, setting. Well, excuse me, at being involved in worship for fifteen years, worship leader. Uh, my first four years in the messianic movement, I played bass on a worship team. But when you're involved in worship, um, it is especially maddening when someone decides to bring an instrument of their choice. It's usually a tambourine, and decide that they want to bang it during worship, and um. It, it's it's incredibly uh, distracting, actually. It is out of order. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, that, no, there's freedom in worship, and there's this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. People love that word. Yeah. Believers love the word freedom. Yeah. Freedom, liberty. Because they, no, they think that freedom means we can do what we want as long as we're expressing it towards the Lord in worship. And there's freedom. We, let's just be free. Let's just be free to act nuts. And that is not what God intended. And I know a lot of times we laugh with the with the tambourine stories, and and I think they're funny looking back. But when you're up there leading worship and you can hear it, yeah, it's maddening. Yeah. And the double problem is it's 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 a two sided problem. Not only do you have the person bringing in the tambourine, I've seen shamashim, you know, w- which who are tasked with making sure things are orderly during service, like afraid to go up to him and talk to him. Like, hey, can you wait? Can you no, because they want to be nice. Yeah. Because they think that you know, serving the Lord is like, well, we just need to be nice to everybody, and 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 never say anything. I mean, I was in Savannah when I led worship in Savannah. We had a lady that brought in a tambourine. This lady had been coming for a while. Came to tour studies, involved, banging a tambourine one day, just brought it in, bring, bring, hitting it against her leg, you know. Yeah. And the rabbi at the time in Savannah, he walked up to her. And this is what I loved about him. Like, if he saw something, just if he saw a bat, a weed coming out of the ground, he was like excavator yeah dig it out you know he was you know proactive leadership right the the five feet of dirt around it right 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 (laughs) so he just went up to her and said hey listen it's very distracting i know you mean well she never came back i took away a tambourine man over a tambourine yeah i i hate unauthorized tambourines yes. with a passion. Uh, so saying and, unauthorized tambourines suggests there's such a thing as an authorized tambourine or if, a license you can have and, somewhere. Exactly. In, in my opinion, in my opinion, uh, if, if you want to participate in worship in the congregation, 
in the in- with an instrument or or with a microphone or whatever, you have to be on the worship team, mm-hmm. right? And if you're on the worship team, that means you've been approved by the worship leader and the leadership to be involved in that. And so, if the worship leader says, "Hey, I have a great idea. You should use a tambourine in the, the uh, in the set this week." Yeah. Awesome. I'm okay with that. My now, I, I won't lie and say that I also still hate that idea because, like, <laughs> one on stage invites the thirty in the crowd. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, like, that's one thing. But if somebody just randomly like rolls up one day, like Rabbi Tohu was saying, they just randomly roll up one day with a tambourine and just start going to town with it. And, and look, let's be honest. Nobody with a tambourine in the crowd knows what rhythm is. Right. Um, they Oftentimes, just no. yeah, they just know what sound is and start I mean, making as much as it's like this yeah. isn't Purim. We're not trying to. Drown out, drown out Haman's name. Like we don't need groggers in the yeah. worship service. I watched one lady. She wasn't even. Um, she wasn't even trying to be rhythmic. She would just clap her hand against it when during during when she was. I guess when she decided she was going to be excited or whatever. I, you know, there was no rhyme or you know, reason it, to it. it. It's really interesting to me that uh, that nobody. Wait, wait, here comes the uh, guy that came from a Pentecostal background. That's right. talk about these tambourines now. That's right. That nobody <laughs> would... Did yours have a dove with the, the feathers? Go away. <laughs> nobody, nobody would just walk into a church or synagogue with a guitar, sit in the audience, and just start playing along with the worship team, or bring in a drum set and play along with the worship team, or grab a, tr- a trumpet, or... Whatever, but for some reason we think tambourine, that's, you know, yeah. whatever. And people take the verse that says make a joyful noise way too far. Yes. In, yeah. in this, and, and so, uh, and nobody, to my knowledge, in the history of mankind has ever said what we need now is more tambourine. Yeah. No. I, I don't think right. that's ever been said in the history of mankind. So, again, tambourine has a purpose. It is a biblical instrument playing the the cymbals. It is a biblical instrument, but it is an instrument that should be part, if it's going to be used, should be part of the worship team or authorized by the worship leader. The same way shofars. Mm-hmm. Shofar is an instrument. It's an instrument of praise. There are purposes for a shofar. Now, if during a service, a worship service, the worship leader says, okay, at this point in the song, we want everybody with a shofar. You know, blow the shofar in Zion. When you hear those words, let's all do this in unity. Then they're doing it in accordance right. with what's happening. David's like, like no, bad song. No. Bad song. <laughs> but, <laughs> I picked a better one to use for that. Okay. <laughs> but the point is, it's an authorized use yeah, of yeah, an yeah. instrument yeah. within yes. the scope of worship. Look, we, I've, I've been in Messianic congregation to the majority of my life and i've experienced every variety of rogue unauthorized shofar road blasting imaginable including yeah. i've only <laughs> seen this. that i've only seen that one uh, i've only seen shofars being blown once tambourines numerous yeah yeah including the not this past december but last december uh 2021 at southeast regional where uh, we actually had to get up and move seats because the entire row of people behind us we're talking like 30 people behind us the entire row had had chauffeur out and we're blasting them with the most 
obscene times and, and it had nothing yeah. like nothing's worse than when right. somebody's up preaching and you pull out a shofar and start blowing it like you know it's just absurd and so like in our congregation because I've experienced this and I've seen so many times uh, and I've been in congregations and I won't name names but I've been in congregations where like you know the attitude of the leadership was like Rabbi Eric just said you know make a joyful noise unto the Lord and so if they want to do it you know whatever I'm like no we can't we're not going to do that no that's not going to fly with me so in our congregation we decided early on you know first and foremost like uh, blowing a shofar in a synagogue on Shabbat is already an oddity to most of the Jewish world yeah. because it's it's not considered you know okay to carry the shofar and and so yeah. on so so the fact that we're we're even considering using shofar in our services can be problematic as it is right yeah. but then you disrupt things out of the weirdest possible way and yeah. it ruins it even more so in our congregation we were like you know what we're Messianic synagogue. Like I understand, a shofar has become like the symbol of Messianic Judaism in a lot of ways, and you know everybody's like, we're going to blow shofar oath, and you know, uh, and, and all this. So in our congregation, we we're like, all right, the way we're going to try to kind of mitigate the curb a little bit and, and the hurt a little bit and kind of mitigate some of this is uh, we have two specific spots in our service that we have have intentionally designated as like free for all. Everybody can b- grab a shofar and blow it. Uh, but there's only these two spots. And what's really interesting is people have kind of figured it out on their own. Nobody else is blowing them any other time. So these are the two times. If you want to blow your shofar, this is where you do it. Yeah. Nowhere else. And that's at the right. beginning of the service as like the cold of... Almost not my microphone in my lap. As the call was, I, I had a little too much Jewish hands going on at least here. It, at least it was coffee. Were, yeah, my hands were flying around too much while I was talking. But, um... You know, the beginning of the service is like a call to worship to draw people in. We blow the shofar. I think you guys do the same thing at Bredon. Which is a um, biblical yeah, yeah, use for exactly. a shofar. Uh, and then in our Torah service, we have a really interesting and unique thing that we do in our Torah service that I developed a few years back. Uh, it was probably six or seven years ago uh, where uh, as we get ready to open the Torah scroll, we've processed it around the sanctuary, brought it up, undressed it, laid it down on the reading table. As we get ready to read from the Torah scroll, uh, as a community, we read from Exodus nineteen sixteen through 19. Yeah. which is like the, the the beginning of the voice of God, the Bat-Kol speaking, the Aserat Hadibro, the ten words to Israel. Yeah. And it tells us that in that passage that, you know, God, as we've talked in previous episodes, God told Israel to prepare yourself for three days, and then I'm going to reveal myself to you and speak to you. And uh, before the voice of the Lord was came forth, there was this heavenly shofar blast that grabbed their hearts. And so, you know, I always say some spill along the lines of, uh, you know, we believe that we serve a God is alive and well today, that he speaks to us as much today as ever in history of creation, and that one of the primary ways he speaks to us is through his word. So as we prepare to hear his voice come forth from his word, we blow the shofar to commemorate what Israel experienced at Sinai, but also to awaken our hearts and prepare ourselves for the voice of the Lord about to come forth from his word. And so we allow everybody, we'll read that passage, and then after the last word of verse 19, we will, those that have, will all blow their shofar together, um, and then uh, and then we open up the Torah scroll and read from it. It's, it's actually a really cool addition to our service. But yeah, and, and- we want to make clear, at least I want to make clear, I assume the other guys will agree with me, that the shofar has a powerful Absolutely. sound. And prophetic. And, and when it's, it's prophetic, right. and it, it's meaningful, and when somebody who knows how to blow a shofar blows a shofar, it does grab the heart of the listener, and, and all of those things. So we're not anti-shofar, uh, yeah. uh, and I don't want to come off <clears throat> that way, but I do think that... Uh, I'm anti out of order. Right, but it's the same way. We have we have some amazing cantors at our uh, chazanim, 
at our uh, congregation who have beautiful voices that chant the melodies of our people for th- that have been around for thousands of years. And although you, when you listen to them, it touches your heart, it, it, it raises the spirit within you, it, it draws you into worship, we would never expect a chazan or a cantor to stand up in the middle of a sermon and just start canting uh, or or one of the, the prayers of our people. You know, it, it just wouldn't happen. And likewise, the shofar is a powerful instrument. It's, a, it's an instrument of war. It's an instrument of worship. It's an instrument of coronation. There are purposes for it, and it does grab the heart of the people. Yeah. But it, there's an order. There's a, a time and a place and a way to do it. Yeah. And so I, I think we've beaten the shofar. Yeah, oh, no, but, no, no. I'm, I, I'm holding on to You're the, holding no, on to one? I, but well, I to just the, want to say that anybody who anybody – who who blows the shofar at an in, at, at an inappropriate moment? Which would let's just give a scenario: the worship team's playing, and I don't know. It's it's it just any point during worship, and someone decides to blow their shofar during worship. That person needs to be corrected with the shofar. Physically. The person with the shofar across <laughs> the head, <laughs> right? Boy. But I mean, look, you know, it, it just it it, it can't. You know, I've heard that, you know, the, well, not heard. I mean, if we look in the scripture, you know, when the Holy Spirit fell on Yeshua, it mm-hmm. was a dove. Mm-hmm. When you try to walk up to a dove acting all crazy and loud and see what it does, it's going to fly away. And I have seen the Holy Spirit sucked out of a room because of some person being yeah. out of order. Yeah, a person. That double fly yeah. away and crap now, I, on Now, I will say that if somebody does right. that at our congregation, if they're a first-time visitor or they're this first time they've done it, I will generally wait till after service yes. and call them aside and say, "Look, you know, we appreciate <laughs> we, your we desire. We appreciate your desire, but we don't. You know, there's appropriate times. You know, if you have a shofar at the beginning of service, everybody blows it. It's a time to do it, yeah. kind we, of thing. So we appreciate your enthusiasm. Could you please right. turn it down a dial? Right. So, so that's one. And, and another one of the things that we we talked a little about tambourines well i want to what i was saying earlier you're going to show for it no no i was just saying that yeah i i'm going to hold on to this like authorized versus unauthorized thing (laughs) i want to start printing out certificates (laughs) and being like look unless you have one of these you are not authorized in synagogue to blow the shofar or to shake your tambourine you have to be licensed gotta go through the special course you gotta pay your fee get it notarized background check i would almost want to have a graphic up that's part of the rotating graphics that says you know Hey, no unauthorized chauffeur. No, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I'll start a movement. Start a movement in the in the the IMCS. They'll be like, we we want con- constitutional carry for chauffeur road and tambourine. So <laughs> anyhow, but no, Let's, I think the next one that we, I think another one that we discussed, we we did tambourines and chauffeur, and the third one is um, flags slash uh, dancers. Now, for me, um, I think flags can be a beautiful expression with a dance team. Um. But the times I've seen it as a beautiful expression is when it is in order mm-hmm. and it is managed by the leader of the dance team. Yeah. I was uh, I have seen dance teams because they were under a weak leadership or if any leadership at all, it was just they would start off dancing together and then suddenly would break off by themselves and go to different parts mm-hmm. of the building and you'd have these rogue dancers and that that turned into something rather. That turned into something inappropriate that led to yeah. uh, someone getting removed from the dance team because of a spirit, wow. which was being allowed because the dance leader wasn't leading. Wow. So for me, like 
I don't want to see that stuff. And like yeah. we, we had a lady at one congregation, one of my congregations I attend, we called her the flag lady. She showed up. She had like, it was like Rambo. She had her whole <laughs> arsenal of different flags for different reasons. Like this is for close flag. range. This is for long range, all this stuff. And she would end up at the very center of the congregation during worship in front of the Bema, waving her flags around. And it was such a repellent spirit. Yeah. It was so. I'm not for it, these rogue, the rogue dancers. Yeah. yeah, I think that what we're dealing with in a large, at least what I hear from yeah. you, Toby, is the the demonstrative meisms. Yes. Yeah. Rather than the, you know, this is supposed to be unto the Lord. This, this is, is supposed my to be. Show. So I have been to, and and there's one congregation in particular that has a, a young man that that does flags as part of the worship team, and he is extremely proficient at waving flags and doing and, and all that. Yes. But but you can continuing that up each year. But you can you can tell that he is worshiping God and even though he's in front and even though he's center to the congregation, yeah. you, people aren't looking at him going, this is his show or he's it just becomes part of the worship. The same yes. way that if a tambourine go jumping back to that is part of the worship team and is in place, nobody goes Oh, can you hear that? You know that tambourine is is the focus of this, and and the same way we we have our worship leader Tamra uh, is an amazing piano player, and if you watch her playing the piano, she's doing all kinds of things with the keys and going and yeah. but but it's not flourishes, it's not standing out, it's it blends in with the fullness of what's going on. Where Absolutely. there's there's other people that it's like Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, they're the show taking place in the thing. So it's not just tambourines or shofars or flags, oh, no, but what? it's it's the heart behind. Is mm-hmm. this about God or right. is this about me? Which is why, like, I don't. Like, you know, I've been in worship teams where we spent 30 minutes working on guitar solos, and I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. Because that guitar solo isn't proclaiming the Word of God. And in and, and all my years as a worship leader, I don't think I've ever done a guitar solo. One, I'm not It'd be really, like uh, Tim Hawkins' guitar solo, enough. where he's like, guitar solo, <laughs> I mean, I've never really done, done it. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I think that's really part of the, the issue is the heart. It, is the person doing the flags because they're worshiping God? And, and there are those who do that. They're, yeah. they're, they, you can tell it's not about them. I, I've seen there's one lady at a congregation I've been to that does flags as part of her worship. But she stands in the back and, if, and she's not drawing attention to herself. And she's, not, and she's just worshiping God, yeah. waving flags, and, and she's not hitting anybody. Nobody's ducking to get out the way. It's not you know, all of that. It's just her form of worship. And it's authorized. Yeah. The leadership said, you're welcome to do this as this. It's not just somebody you know, pulling out a, a flag from you know, uh, somewhere and, and just uh, you know, waving and, it on their own without any... Yeah, and you can even um, see it with people during liturgy. Like, for instance, no, I don't want to be legalistic about this and say, you can't sing loud or anything like that, but like... I've been to conferences and I've been in congregations where I've heard people just in the congregation and they're singing liturgy and they're singing like an opera singer and they're really loud. And I'm like, okay, you need to cool it. Yeah. And I was at, and um, I was at a congregation where it was a, a, a woman that was singing really, really loud. And it was, she was just belting over the worship leader and everybody. And the rabbi said, we've had to have several conversations with her about you 
are singing too loud. You're singing over the worship leader, and it's getting a little outside of order. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. That, and right. you said the word leader several times. The reason we have a worship leader is because the other people are supposed to follow the worship yes. leader. We have a liturgy leader because they're supposed to follow the liturgy. They're not supposed to lead the the right. liturgy. The, the congregation follows the leading yeah. of the person who's leading the liturgy. Yeah, I mean, I'm a cantor at, at, yeah. at my congregation, and I am mindful of my volume yeah. when I'm singing, yeah. and I'm not leading. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, 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 was, I was actually doing liturgy one time, and it's um, it, someone, someone started off in the audience with the wrong key, and I, like, got to where we were, and I... <laughs> Was able to because I had the microphone. I was able to bring it back to the right, but someone had started off. I was like, I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> this, so I, you, you are not leading right now. That's when I, when Sit I, lead, when I lead liturgy, people tend to say I go a little fast, um, and uh, so when I intentionally slow things down, I'll intentionally slow it down so that everybody can follow along with me. But if mm-hmm. I get like two, three lines into that prayer and notice nobody is singing with me, I'm going to yeah. go back the way I do it because yeah. I'm leading. So I'm gonna- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so we, we've, we've talked a little about tambourines and shofars and flags. And from flags, it's almost a natural uh, transition to talitote. Yes. Because ooh, I've ooh. seen and people... Kipo. I've seen people who use their talit as if it was a flag, who, you know, and during worship would pull their talit off and start <laughs> spinning it and waving it in the air and 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 do and and just it, it just you know it's like come on people let's you know dragging it on the ground uh, you know all kinds of stuff talit totes are um, you know I had somebody I had somebody get mad at me once because uh, in our service I wear a talit the entire service until the message. And in the message, I take my Toledo off oh, really? and I set it down and then I preach. And then at the end of service, when the message is over and I'm getting ready for the Bilchakonim, I'll put it back on. Well, the reason why is because originally we didn't have AC over the center part of the stage. Oh, okay. where, like there were no vents there. There were vents gotcha. on the, the sides of the stage, like where the worship team was, but there weren't vents over the yeah. center where we stood. And so it would get really hot. So I would just gotcha. take my Toledo off because it was just boiling up there. Now it's and then, habit. And now, well, now it's just, it's more comfortable. So I take it yeah. off and I just keep rolling with it. Um, but I had somebody that actually got mad at me. Uh, and it was one of the reasons they gave for leaving our congregation was because I took my Toledo off to preach. I'm like, bro, I wear a Talikatan all the time. Yeah. Like the Talikatol is literally just there for symbolic purpose at this point. Yeah. Like that's it. Uh, but it's funny how people get so out of whack over things like a Talit. And, you know, like you were saying, people dancing around and swinging them around and trying to, they become flags in a lot of ways. It's absurd. Like there's a reverence to the garment. Like it's got a purpose there, there, and there's a reverence to it. It's a, it's a garment of worship. It's a garment of, of sanctification. It's a garment. It's symbolic of the priestly garments. It's yeah. symbolic of, uh, you know, of the Torah, of the Torah, of God's, right. yeah. you know, covering. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's those things, and, and it can be a phenomenal resource. And 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 there are those that theorize that when Paul said to go into your prayer closet, this is what he was talking about, because there are certain aspects of traditional liturgical prayer that you fully wrap yourself and yeah, encompass yeah. yourself in the tallit as you're saying the prayers. And yeah. so I fall into that camp. But, but it, Paul, I yeah. agree with all that. I do too. I just think it's weird when I see things like um, one time I was at the airport in Atlanta and I saw this group of women and they were walking and they were wearing regular clothes like no like, like regular clothes as far as like you know that they weren't dressed like Hasidim or anything I don't yeah. think they were Jewish at all to be honest with you 
but they were just walking, you know, and they were all wearing male talits. Oh wow! And it just looked so weird. And and I I have to say that I think it's really weird when I see a woman wearing a male talit and a keeper. Yeah, I was gonna bounce on that too. Like it's weird. Yeah, yeah. you know, the, it's in, go ahead. The, you know, the the Torah makes it clear that a woman should wear women's clothes and men should wear men's clothes. And and if you how we want to define what that looks like, like look, whatever. Uh, but but there's one thing that's for sure is a tali gadol. There are tali gadol. Uh, there 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 is a style of a tali gadol that is very masculine looking. Yeah. Right. And then they make uh, the the same. Uh, Tully Gadol that is made for women that have you know like my my daughter has one that's uh, that we got her for, for her bat mitzvah that's like uh, silk and like yeah. see through and got yes. like this purple and yeah. pink like it's clearly for a young lady yeah, yeah. and yeah. I would yeah. never Femin- be caught- feminine isn't bad for exactly a woman. <laughs> I would never be caught dead in it um, right <laughs> but but and and my wife has one that that uh, she doesn't wear very often but she has one that's got like pink doves all over it and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff like um, there are. Uh, uh, talitot for women that are made specifically for women, and then there are talitot made specifically for men. Yeah. Uh, and a, a kippah's you know similar conversation. There there are kippot that are because it is becoming more common in some of 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 uh, Judaism. Uh, ordinary Judaism of of uh, what, what's the word normative for? normative. Thank you. Because yeah. uh, look, let's be honest. This whole episode shows that Messianic Judaism is abnormal. Yeah. Well, even in the, a lot of ways, even but, in the mess- Messianic sphere, like even yeah. getting men to wear kippot, yeah, yeah. like like you know, unless a congregation requires it, yeah, like you've it's still a 50-50 yeah. whether or not men yeah. are wearing them, or right? Not. And and so like there are there are kippot because normative Judaism uh, in a lot of ways are moving towards women being able to wear a kippah. There are kippot made for women that are like, um, you know, the Mennonites have the little doily looking things. I don't know what they're called, but the little doily, doily looking things. things. They, they, right, that's the the, the technical term. Uh, Table they, there are uh, kippot for women that are like that, that are doily. My, my mother-in-law has one um, that actually, I think my mom has one as well, that's like this um, it's made out of like jewelry metal with like little beads, and it's you know it's uh, uh, twist twisted metal yeah. all together, wire twisting all together with beads and stuff on it, and it's got like a barrette comb on the backside that that clips into the hair and what have you. Like it's very feminine, very ornate, very uh, very obvious for a woman. Like I wouldn't wear it. Like it would look dumb on me. Also, I don't have hair, so it'd be hard to keep it on. Uh, but aside from that, like, it would well, I think look- if we use some effort, we could get the comb <laughs> into, the flesh. into the flesh and get it there. I joked, I joked once about having, uh, you know, they do the surgical implants for, like, uh, um, the the like weird canine teeth and all this kind of stuff like for for aestheticism. And it's oh like, I'm going to have goodness. snaps surgically implanted on my head so I can just snap my keep on. That? I don't. I mean, I'm sure somebody could do it, but I'm no. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. So, but they're clearly like uh, talit, uh, a kippa, whatever. They're very clearly feminine options. Yeah. Like, and in our congregation, I mean, I don't make a big deal out of it the first time I see it because a lot of times the first time you might see it as a visitor, and they may just not know any different, or yeah. they may come from somewhere that didn't care and didn't say anything. Yeah. So I, I'll get. Uh, Opportunity to kind of get to know somebody, and uh, and and generally speaking, these are the types of conversations you have with people that you learn pretty quick whether or not they're teachable, whether or not they're going to be good in your community or not. When you sit down and go, "Hey, look, I appreciate uh, your your desire to interact with this, right? I right. appreciate your wanting to to wear this prayer covering, the the talit, and and interact in that way." But listen, this is a man's garment. 
and there are men's garments or women's garments. If you want to wear one, I can send you links for where you can find some that are very feminine that will do you very well. Um, but what right. you have, that black and white one, is very clearly a man's garment. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think that, yeah, I, I was going in the same yeah. direction. I, it, they make them it, age-specific, too. Like, you can go, like, boys keep a, like, they make a little, like, baseball pattern and yeah. basketball. It's like, clearly hey, no hey, grown hey, man hey, is going to hey, wear that. Hey. I for years, for years, wore a knit yellow uh, kippa that had a giant smiley face on it, um, and I would wear it in restaurants when I worked in restaurants all the time because it was just funny. Um, or my New York Yankees kippa. Yeah, at our congregation, we just tell people as uh, again, like you, not the first time someone shows up and pulls one out of the bag, but we we just tell them, look. Uh, if you want to wear a tully, that's wonderful. If that's your conviction, you're, you're feeling led to do that. But if you're a woman, you should wear a tully that no man would put on. Right. That, that is so so clearly feminine because the fringes were commanded to be put on the corners mm-hmm. of your garments. And men's garments and women's garments were different and they were identifiably different. So right. a woman's garment should be a woman's garment. It should be... And it, and there are beautiful ones. My wife has one that's that's uh, silk, hand painted silk. That's a beautiful talit, uh, but it's one that I would not ever wear uh, because it's so feminine that it's clearly not something I would wear. Now, yeah. just out of curiosity, this has nothing to do with the direction of our current conversation. But I just I think it's fun to throw a poll out every once in a while. What's your preferred style of talit? I like the over the shoulders. Like I you don't talk about wearing it. Yeah, yeah. How do you? Pre- well, I mean, no. I mean, because it goes down to the size. Like you know, you can't take a a, a twenty four inch wide to leave. Oh no, I have a seventy inch. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I like the ones that you just that you wear standard around your shoulders. Um, the only time I ever wore like the Godol was when I had to borrow David's at the Southeast <laughs> Regional because all the kids they brought all the young adults they brought up to do tour readings. None of them brought Talites. And I had to give them all my extra ones, including the one I was wearing. Show yeah. up to tour reading without a tilly. Yeah, like, You're, yeah. Eh, get out of here. So, and it, but and yeah, I wear yeah. I wear a seventy <laughs> inch, so it's the long that. one that that yeah. you can wear like a cape. Yeah, uh, or you know, and, and you know, it's the every superhero has a cape. So <laughs> I prefer the large blanket style. You know, the seventy two to eighty yeah. inch, yeah. Uh, and uh, I you know have it tossed up over my shoulders. And I mean, the, the, look, the tradition. It, it re- as far as the tradition goes, the Taliga Dole is not what's commanded. Um, it's a ceremonial garment. It's, yeah. it's there. Honestly, it's there as a loophole to get out of making effort to wear a Taliga Tan all the time. Um, if we're being honest about why a Taliga Dole came on the picture to begin with, because four-corner garments weren't common anymore. So we went, ah, here's a way to get around this, right? Um, but aside from that, uh, Taliga Dole is beautiful, and it's a powerful yeah. resource you have in, a, in prayer. Do you wear um, one of the Ethiopian ones? Uh, I have an Ethiopian one, yep. yeah. I do, too. Um, and, I love uh, seeing those at yeah. the marketplace yeah. in the conference. They're really beautiful. They're gorgeous. If you can get your, but they're, I have they're, a, they're, they're priced really well. Yeah. Really yeah. And I have a, a big one. I have a, I think that, I think that one's 80 something, yeah. 84 inch maybe. That's yeah. the but, one I borrowed from you. Yeah. It was your Ethiopian yeah. Tully Gadol. But yeah. the, the reason why, you know, <laughs> Rabbi Eric jokes and calls them capes, the reason they're worn the way they are is because the, then you have uh, uh, your Tzitziot, two in the front, two in the rear, kind yeah. of symbolic of being in, in forward and backward. And uh, so, but I just really, I like the way it looks, I like that. Now, I hate the work that goes into it because, like, every three minutes you're having to right, which is why I it. really <laughs> thought you took it off when that, you spoke. No, that's uh, mainly why I don't. I don't like. Yeah, it. I, mean, I have. Clips. I don't like fooling with it. I yeah. have clips for mine that I so when I have and I like it because you know yeah, I, I don't look as fat when I have the two uh, <laughs> the two pe- things of, of 
front, you know, so I'm like, I'm like, okay, I look, a, look reasonably yeah, good. It's kind of like people ask me every time I go <laughs> preach somewhere, teach somewhere, and I open up a question answer time. Someone, do you wear a beard before because you're Jewish? And I said, right. no, I wear a beard because I'm ugly and it covers part yeah, of my face. I, uh, so you wear your talit that way because uh, you're fat. There's, yeah, yeah, I, I wear, there's uh, an Orthodox jeweler that came out. I've had him for a few years now. That came out with these. Uh, they call them talit uh, talit jewelry, but they're they're like talit rings or these neat little rings that have a specific design uh, where the metal's twisted in such a way so that it kind of grabs the tallit. So when you put it up like I do with the four corners and all, you run the front corners through it. Instead of having to wear clips, you run the front corners through it as high as you want, and it kind of holds everything together right here. So more or less, all you have to do is every once in a while pull it down because it will slip like yeah. backward, but you pull it down a where little bit. Where do you find those? I, I, I'll might. send you a link for okay. it. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I could, put a link, I could put a link in the, the I podcast. I wear mine like you do. I wear, yeah. you know, I like Okay, so I'm the only one that does the shoulder. No, he does. He does no, no, too. I do the shoulder, but okay. I have the one that I can wear. He has wear, a big one, but he does it. When I do weddings or things like that, yeah. then I'll wear it long. But for the reason that it falls down yeah. constantly and I don't have but my clips, that, uh, that, I, I wear it of, the way I do. I found uh, on accident yesterday when I was looking for that bag for you, I found the uh, – do you remember the <laughs> clips that – uh, the the jeweler made for yeah. me that for my bar mitzvah that were uh, modeled off of yours from your right. bar mitzvah. I found those arbitrarily in uh, when I was digging for that bag in our storage container. Uh, well, that's cool. I I, I want to say that, but that leads to um, talking about the talit leads to just another thought that I have, and that's the talit is one of the most beautiful parts of um, mm-hmm. of, of of Jewish uh, worship expression to yeah. me. It, it one, the first time I walked into a messianic synagogue. That was one of the things. It was the. It was two things that I'll never forget. That that really impacted me more than anything. It was the sound of the Hebrew language, and it was the talit. Mm-hmm. So I have quite a selection of talits that I've accrued over the years because I just love them so much. Quite you know? a wardrobe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it gets my goat when I am at a Torah reading or a service, and I see not just young men, Jewish young men, Jewish young men related to rabbis. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't have a tully. Uh, <laughs> can I borrow yours? And I'm like, I'm a Gentile with like three in my bag. Yeah. You're serious? And that, it just, I really think young men should have tallits. I think young men should wear them. It gets my goat when I feel like it, it is a part of embracing um, being a, uh, you know, worshiping the Lord. Yeah. Being a man, but women have them too, but I'm just saying... There's something about when I see a man covering his family with his talit during like the ironic blessing and things like that. Yeah. And but when I see young men like, oh, uh, can I borrow your talit? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and then I go and put another one on that I had in my bag. Oh yeah, can I get your talit? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, take this stuff seriously, man. Yeah. And I think like, and of course, you know, I'll I'll bring up that there is an argument and a and a tradition where you know normally it's it's not traditional for young men to wear talit until they're married. Um, however, I think that if you are above the age of bar mitzvah and you are committed to yeah. walking with God and walking with your and you're family, doing something on stage, and you're doing too. something like especially, especially on stage, and to the to the greatest portion of Judaism yeah. at, at bar mitzvah is when young men begin to wear talits. Yeah. Now there are sects that are separate, sure. but sure. but the other the thing I look at is. Um, you know, there there are there are people who were will wear a kippah but not a talit, and 
the talit is actually commanded. The kippa is a traditional replacement right. or a symbolic mm-hmm. covering like the priests wore. So there's a biblical reason to wear a kippah, but we're commanded to wear talit. Now, I will say that we have some young men in our congregation who wear talit katans. They wear, they're wearing fringes, but so they don't wear a talit gadol. Yeah. But they're being obedient to the actual commandment. I have no problem with that. Yeah. But, but, right. but those, what Toby's talking about but is But those like, that just don't take anything seriously yeah, they right. don't, they, i'm i'm here yeah. for whatever reason toby's ta- talking yeah. about like you know young men woke up in the hotel room at the conference you know wore the suit their mom packed for them and or, or a up, t-shirt yeah and showed up oh, okay. My, help me out man it, it's just it tells me like how much of you have to own this stuff Right. See, it's yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff that I go back into. Yeah. Own it, not as in buy it and, and own no. it, but own it as in make it a part of who you yes, are. Yes, make it a part of who you are because those are the people, those are the uh, people that God uses. It's yeah. the people that weren't perfect, but it's the people that were like, I want as much as I can get of God. And God's like, it's all available. Yeah. It's yeah. just some people are fine with just. With just a, you know a little bit, right? There are things, and you mentioned earlier, Rabbi Toby, that the uh, when you came into a synagogue, the Hebrew moved you. Seeing the yes. Talich moved you. Yes, uh, like the, wanted the, to cry and didn't right. Know the why. things that really affect people's hearts are audible or vid- visually right. moving. Uh, the Talit is one. Uh, you mentioned uh, one of the things when people come to our congregation. One of the things that we hear most often spoken of is. Uh, first, the procession of the Torah, right? Uh, the the moving of the children and the people following the Torah, the Torah being processed around, the just like the children of Israel followed the ark around the wilderness, our people followed the Torah around the the sanctuary. So there's something really gripping, heart gripping about that. But the other is something that you mentioned uh, a minute ago, and that was when we gather together at the end of service for the Berakat Hakoni, yes. the, the Aaronic benediction, and the husbands. And the the single and the men who are there gather together with other and and place their the the husband places the talit over his wife and his children and gather them together under this covering this canopy of faith right. is such a symbolically powerful moment and and we actually had just a few weeks ago. Um, we had one week where we sang uh, like Marty Getz and Misha, uh, the Aaronic benediction that they do. Just and we, I didn't cant the 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 benediction, and then the next week my throat was hurting. I didn't cant it. By the third week of not canting it, we had people from the congregation coming up and saying, "Look, you can't not do that. Yeah. That part of the service is so right. meaningful." When my family gathers yeah. together, and I, I love the song, and it's great that we're singing the song together and all that. But there's something about having. Our congregational leader bless the congregation and each of the families gathering together and uh, under the talitot and together as as under the canopy of their family and participating is something that's moving and and, and heart touching. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's it's and all these things that we talked about from the um, from the tambourines to the shofar. Did you did you get to say everything you wanted to about shofars, Jonathan? Pretty much. Okay. I did want to touch on flags good. before we go again, though. Yeah. No, I did but I mean, about that. okay, well, go ahead. But I, I, I just didn't know because I was just saying all these things go back to it's all we love telling these stories. We love laughing about them. But 
it really does mean that we only laugh in hindsight. Yeah, it, we only laugh in hindsight because these, these things highlight the need for uh, order and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. In, in the service. And for those in, in authority to actually like step in and You've say something, do something when, yeah. it, but for example, you know, this year we went uh, this past uh, Southeast Conference, we went and in the handout they gave for the worship services, it explain. This, this is a soapbox for me, and I'm going to pound it. Um, they it drove me nuts. That they had it written verbatim in there. Please do not, you know, engage in like flag waving, and, unauthorized and, flag waving, and like, and I unauthorized flag waving, it's unlicensed flag waving. And so I show up, and they're like, people are waving. You got to tell them they've got to have flag licenses available. Flag license. the, uh, I'm gonna start, no, I'm going to come up. I'm going to design a license for chauffeur oats, the, for tambourines, the little tags that go on the, the little, right, the little ribbons that go on the, the conference attending <laughs> thing. Authorized flag waving. That's right. You're not, you don't want to have a ribbon. Sorry, you got to get off. No, it's fine. No, it's, it's part of what this is. Oh, um, <laughs> but like, I mean, it, and it was funny because you had some people who were waving like these little streamers. They weren't on a pole, so they weren't technically flags. Like the rhythmic gymnastics. I was, I was like, dude, this is like, you're like yeah, the little. crawling towards this. You're crawling and then like by the last worship service um, they were waving full on flags and but no one said anything none yeah. of the leadership mm-hmm. I was like y'all yeah. like y'all y'all were gonna y'all, put it there police it. y'all were like the kids who like you know like let's see if mom will like if I do this little like if I take the lid off the cookie jar yeah. let's see if mom says anything you know, yeah, it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid we used to get Charlie's chips do you remember that far back I do we used to get Charlie's chips do you remember the, the chips that came in the big tin cans they, they delivered them like milkmen you know milkmen came to the you, house in my day and dropped off milk in the morning and then picked up the empty bottles <laughs> we used to get potato chips delivered to the house in a truck like a UPS truck. Yeah. And they were like these big cans full of chips. And when we were kids, we would go in and my dad would say you couldn't have any. But when he wasn't there, we'd go and we'd eat some chips. And then we'd fluff up the can to try to make the chips look like we hadn't eaten any out of it. And, you know, by the end of the month, the chips are gone and we're all, I didn't have any chips, you know. And it's like incrementally. Yeah. Pretending you know. till you can't pretend anymore that we're not actually doing what we're not supposed right. to, and that's what happened with those. They had yeah. the little, oh, it's not a flag, it's a yeah. streamer, yeah. and then it became a little bigger, and then it, and finally the end of it, they've got these twenty foot flags <laughs> like you see at a football game. Somebody yanked right. one off the back of their Swinging pickup it truck. Back and forth. Yeah. First, it's funny. David but, and I are over here trying not to die, laughing like. Yeah. Ten cans of milk getting delivered like nineteen fifties. <laughs> the 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 thing I think is the most complicated about this, and I guess this is the angle that we really didn't touch on, is uh, that yes, there is a, a need for order. Uh, there's an obligation for order, yeah. and there's a need for correction when things are out of order. Uh, but there there is a a a there's a difficulty to figuring out. How? Because interpersonal relationships are different with everybody, right? And everybody, especially today, everybody is so up in arms about everything. Um, Everybody responds to correction in a different way. Some people instantaneously take that correction, absorb it, and they're good. And they go on. Other people, it may take weeks of just fierce anger before they go, oh, you know what? You may have been right. I'm sorry about that, right? And so I think one of the biggest uh, uh, complications to the conversation on the correction side is – how do you healthfully bring correction in these scenarios, these situations, without hurting people's feelings or crushing them or there's, making them feel like they're, they're not allowed to worship freely in your congregation? I think there's two keys. Mm-hmm. One is that you should parent 
children that you brought into the world. Uh, and, and not just your own children, but for instance, if you're the one that discipled somebody, you're, you mm-hmm. brought them to the synagogue, you're there, you should speak to them. If somebody does something that's not within the scope of the normative for that congregation, because different congregations have different ways they do things. But if, if they're wave, hammering a tambourine, and that's not the normative for your congregation, then if you brought them, use your relationship mm-hmm. to disciple them in how to properly do that. Secondarily, the leadership, actual leaders. Nobody, if you don't have a leadership position and you're not the person that brought that person into the world, you're not the parent to that child, you're not Timothy's father, so to speak, biblically, then keep your mouth shut. And and let people that have that position teach and share because people, the the thing that drives people craziest is when somebody that doesn't, shouldn't speak into their life speaks into their life and that causes a pushback. It's a natural pushback. Like, who are you to tell me? You're not the rabbi. You're not an elder. You're not the worship leader. You're not the usher. You're not the, you're, you're just sitting next to me. Stop. So, so. We need to be responsible for our children, be they spiritual or physical, and and deal with teaching them and discipling them, disciplining them yeah. in the proper way to worship uh, for our community. And, and again, each community is different uh, somewhat. And we need to, if somebody's doing something and it seems inappropriate to you, then go to a leader and talk to them about it and let that leader deal with it and right. trust them. If you go to somebody and say, you know, that crazy person sitting next to me was beating on a tambourine and drove me crazy and all, the, once you tell the leader, trust that that leader is going to handle it the way God would have them handle it. Right. Because they may not immediately go over and talk to him. It's a first-time visitor. You may want to build a relationship to where you can speak into their life a little bit before you do. So you don't just go to somebody and say, you shouldn't be tambourine, and they go just leave the building because they don't want to be, you know, uh, tambourine, that's my thing. This is the the only connection to God (laughs) I have. And and there are people like that. And I'm not just talking about tambourines, but there are people, their worship, their form of worship is that which may be out of order in your community, but it may have been wholly in order in the community they came from. Yeah. They may be have been going to a synagogue for 30 years, and every service they beat that tambourine or, or, like or, or waved, waved their talit as if it was a flag or whatever, and now they're in a different environment. And they need a whole new line of products, right? And, <laughs> introduced to them, and they and they need to they need to to deal with that. So, so to answer the question, how do we deal with it? You you deal with it using the authority that that's God given. You're a parent. You parent. You're a leader. You lead. Otherwise, go to a leader and share it with them and let them deal with it and trust that they will lead. Yeah, and things like conferences, like you know, you can if you're especially if you're a leader at a conference, you can say and, and add reminders at the beginning of services like hey, like just as a reminder, like we do, you know, we we ask you to please do this, please do not do this. Um I was at a conference one time, a youth conference years ago, and you know, uh there was a rule where they did not allow young people to be um off in rooms uh, of opposite sexes together. Um and um I remember one time, it's funny, like, I was just hanging out with my friends, and all of a sudden I realized that a bunch of us were in, it was not, like, by ourselves, but a bunch of us together were all in the room of opposite sex, away from the main group, and just very casually, the pastor... Rule breaker. Uh, yeah, I know. 
the, the pastor mentioned that at the beginning of the service. He was like, you know, please, you know, young people, we just ask that you not be away from the main group and, you know, differing gender uh, mixes. Yeah. And, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, my, my one, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1, where it says, A gentle answer turneth away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When you do confront something, yes. confront it with gentleness. Right. You know. So, because the so worst thing a leader can do is nothing. Yeah. Once yeah. Something's and you actually have to confront it. That, yeah, you actually have to do something. So was it the historian and you quoting from the KJV? No. <laughs> no, it was the, it was the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the first lookup that came up. <clears throat> we hope that this has been enlightening, enjoyable, maybe educational to maybe, you. Maybe. Uh, I hope that it was. If you have any comments or questions or thoughts, feel free to drop it on social media or on this post itself. And uh, if you have any things you'd like for us to discuss in a future episode, feel free to do that also. It's always a blessing to be with these gentlemen and hang out and just share our thoughts, our minds. I was going to say, if I design a license for any one of these things, can we post a link in the... (laughs) the podcast so people can download it and have one just for joke's sake and, and actually i was actually going to su- i was actually going to suggest that we post a link for like a judaica.com and such because if they are looking for a tali that would be appropriate to them they can uh they can find it there as well as we may put out a couple other links mm-hmm. so people can yeah, find and them, real so. quick plug i'm sorry i know we've gone over time but um men men's conference is coming up uh in in april april 21st to 23rd so if you have not registered and go to shalompensacola.com go to the men's page and you can find the uh messianic men's conference link go ahead and register and sign up it's only 70 dollars for the whole weekend we're going to have great speakers we've got rabbi eric carlson as our main speaker and we're going to have an excellent competition that week so we'll get a bunch of good teaching good fellowship and a little bit of competitive edge thank you for listening to the messy antics podcast make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode and be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at messy antics podcast